When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The first wave of free agency has passed. The big names gone. Some other names traded. Some other names moved. The Ravens mostly staying put after a couple of their big moves. But there are a couple of fascinating whispers in free agency and in the draft that we need to discuss this week on Pod Like a Raven. Alright, so we... In our last episode, had so many things to discuss in terms of Ravens personnel. So many great signings, some disappointments here and there. And then as as free agency goes, it's been a bit quieter in the last few weeks. But we still have some little news and notes from uh, from Baltimore and from the rest of the NFL to go over. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts starting on the West Coast with Jace Evans. Jace, how's it going, man? It's going good, Antonio. Um... You know, I've been mostly immersed in the NCAA tournament with work. Uh, our national nightmare is over, though. Coach K's career is over. Uh, we don't have to see him win the walk-off title. So that's been a delight. Uh, that was a a a, a uh, like just looming over me, this idea that Coach K was going to get the perfect uh, ending into his career, and I was dreading it. And then North Carolina came through. His longtime rival defeated him one last time. And it was great. So I've been great. I've been riding high since uh, Saturday night. And, uh, you know, um, otherwise, yeah, doing doing well. It feels like forever since we've talked. But not a, not a ton of Ravens things have happened, admittedly. But, you know, the NFL calendar never stops. So plenty of things have happened in the NFL that impact the Ravens. And, uh, you know, we got some interesting comments from the, the owner of the Ravens. So uh, no, no shortage of things still to discuss. Yeah, I, I didn't bring up March Madness this episode or two weeks ago, mostly because my bracket was already a mess, <laughs> uh, and that was, what, days into the tournament? Um, but always nice to see Duke lose, uh, you know, at any stage in that tournament. And uh, I've never seen so many North Carolina fans in my life over the past three, four days. <laughs> Seems like uh, half the country has have secretly been North Carolina Tar Heels their entire lives, but are, are suddenly now showing their their fandom which is perfect for another yet another blue blood but <laughs> on the east coast <laughs> joining us that was my little 30 seconds on uh, being annoyed tim horsey tim you got the raven sweatshirt on uh i can see on camera here so you're not thinking about march madness you're thinking about about ravens and, and the nfl oh no i am the world's biggest tar heels fan did you not know <laughs> coach k is dead gone buried i never have to think about that sniveling prick ever again i am so happy to to I mean, we could just do march madness really because i'm elated i'm over the moon there's there's nothing 
that has brought me more joy from demise than watching that man lose and lose in the fashion that he did. And then he can't, you know, he can't do his whole, this isn't about me, but here's the championship that I totally made about me all year long. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't need uh, my promotion of the number one sports podcast, not named Pod Like a Raven, pardon my take, but listen to that episode today because my God, they were very excited <laughs> for that, for their, our, like Jay said, our national nightmare to be over. But yeah, the, that's my 30 seconds on this. I'm so glad that the, the career of Coach K is over six feet under, and now we can yeah, now we can focus on some Ravens stuff. <laughs> that Final Four game, UNC-Duke, one of the best basketball games I've ever watched, and I kind of ended it with, uh, I'm very confused as to why North Carolina was only an eight seed in that tournament <laughs> when they have... I mean, they played five guys the entire game, but all five were ridiculously good, so I don't understand how they were in a higher seed. It's just those, those plucky six-time national champion underdogs <laughs> from Chapel Hill, uh, Antonio. <laughs> uh, all right, enough of this. Enough of this. I, I even spoke about it more than I wanted to. Let's talk about the NFL. Let's talk about the Ravens. A couple of things to go over here. Uh, Steve Bishotti, uh, I don't know if, if, if the listener knows, he, he owns the Ravens and has for, for quite a while. He had uh, a quite a bit to say about the Ravens he had not had apparently uh boy I'm saying this on the air but don't quote me on this I don't think he had had a press conference of any sort in like four years and then just was out at the owners meetings chatting it up and talking about all the things that he that he liked and and thing things that he needed changed or thought needed to be changed uh, on this Ravens roster in the next few years and it was interesting to see him maybe publicly come out with some uh, some headlines but the biggest news in sort of Bishotti and then Harbaugh land is Jim uh, John Harbaugh signing a contract extension that takes him through 2025 so I want to get your guys' takes on both Bishotti speaking at all really um and maybe diving a little bit into what he did choose to say and then obviously the the positive news I think all three of us think um with John Harbaugh staying uh, in Baltimore for for at least you know three three more years so I yeah, I wish Steve Bashotti talked more. Uh, you know, I always am struck that he seems, uh, you know, a very level-headed guy. Uh, I'm always, he always says interesting things. I think he's very truthful uh, in his statements, which is not always the case. But, you know, when you consider it uh, in comparison to a guy like Jerry Jones, who is like literally talks multiple times a day like on the radio and press conferences and stuff and uh yeah uh, Bashadi hadn't spoken to the media before the 2018 season I think before the 2018 draft even so yeah it'd been basically four full years since he he'd addressed anyone in any way and he kind of said his reasoning for uh was because more or less the Ravens missed the playoffs and so he felt the owner had to like you know give an update on the state of the team almost but uh as it pertains to Harbaugh, I think what I found most interesting, because um, I think obviously, yeah, ex- extend John Harbaugh. He's a good coach. Uh, I think, you know, until until we see otherwise, regardless, obviously we the Ravens had a losing season, but it's only the second one of his tenure. And I think until we see, you know, a multi-year slip or real decline in play, there's no reason to not employ John Harbaugh. Uh, I think he's a great coach, one of the best in the NFL. Um, but I think for me, what was interesting with um, – Bashadi statements was kind of how um a like obviously even despite a losing season it was like a non like a non consideration to like not even like to get this deal done like it was always getting done and how 
the way the season unfolded didn't play into that at all. And I thought the most interesting thing Bashadi actually said of all the things he said was just sort of how he handled uh, the late season collapse. Uh, and he said, quote, I was really good emotionally with it because I kind of didn't think we necessarily deserved to be eight and three. I thought we had gotten very fortunate. I didn't have real high hopes of a playoff run when you're that depleted. I wanted it for John more than me because he's in there grinding this out, trying to make them believe they've still got enough weapons to fight that war. My admiration for them, the players and the coaches was just so high. It was hard to be depressed when your pride level is high. You recognize the reality of the situation. So like, I don't know. I just find that very comforting as a fan to know that the owner of your franchise is seeing the long view and isn't, you know, prone to making these rash decisions. And I think Harbaugh's extension certainly plays into that. You know, it wasn't a good, certainly end of the season when they lost six straight games that I've tried to block it out of my, my head, but uh, it wasn't a good end of the season, but you know, it, it it's encouraging um, when you're, you're the, the guy running your franchise, yeah, sees the full picture, understands like the reality of the situation and, you know, doesn't act, uh, irrationally, which I think we see a lot of NFL owners do. I mean, we saw, you know, a franchise we're very familiar with the Washington commanders panic trade for Carson Wentz this off season. And, um, you know, and steal it's money nice from to... other NFL owners, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amongst other things, the commanders did, yes. Um, but yeah, so just uh, to wrap up on Bashadi, yeah, I, just the fact that um, I think the way he operates is very encouraging for Ravens fans, and I think it's why the team's been as successful as I'm been under his watch. Yeah, I mean, level-headed is the key there, obviously, with uh, with Bashadi, and you see it all the way down with a guy like Harbaugh, who's also the same way. They don't overreact. They shouldn't overreact. It's why it's what's made the Ravens and the Steelers so successful over all these years. The Steelers do the same, you know, famously do not change coaches and, and it has paid off for them pretty handsomely. Although there hasn't been a championship in a long time, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, longer than Baltimore anyway. Um, but I, I think, you know, before we get to the Lamar stuff, which I guess we should get to now, but before that, uh, Jace, just, I really want to hit home what you said too. I, I feel like people took it negatively when he was like, well, he was kind of dissing the team when he was like, well, yeah, they were eight and three, but they definitely didn't deserve to be that. Like there were some crazy games. What are we talking about here? I like how level-headed he was with that approach. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's nice to see that your, your owner, the guy who's running this entire organization gets it. And on the Lamar thing, he gets it. And he also doesn't meddle. You know, Jerry Jones is the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, for those of you that might not know. He he is the Eric DaCosta and the Steve Bishotti of that organization. Bishotti, like any good organization, hires people under him to know what they're doing and lets them do their job. And this is the Lamar thing. So if you haven't seen these comments, Bishotti basically says that there's no way that an extension is coming uh, this, this offseason or hints at it pretty heavily. Um, you know, he, he says, I don't talk to Lamar. It's not my role. What are you going to do with a guy who wants to be unique? You can't browbeat him into being a conformist. He also mentions that, you know, we will definitely do the deal, but we can't just constantly call up Lamar and say, Hey, you ready to negotiate? You ready to negotiate? You ready to negotiate? Um, it's when he's ready, we'll start. And Eric DaCosta's had the same lines too. It's a bit concerning. Uh, seeing that Deshaun Watson just got $230 million guaranteed or something around that number. Uh, and I, I do love that even Bashadi talked about that and just said, you know, 
I wish they wouldn't have given him all that guaranteed money because Lamar, frankly, has a better track record and by all accounts is a better human being than Deshaun Watson is. So he can look at, look at that as a benchmark and say, well, that guy's getting that. I should probably be getting that or at least more than that, which makes these uh, negotiations way more difficult. Um, and I don't love that this negotiation is probably going to happen in this final year. Now, look, we've talked about this over and over again. It happened with Flacco. He won a Super Bowl. They had to pay him. It was worth the years of mediocrity because of that, trust me. And they made some mistakes uh, in those off seasons that I'm sure they wouldn't have made uh, now that they have, you know, kind of the experience of dealing with that. That being said, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I don't love that it's going to loom over this team all off season. That basically, and, and season, excuse me, that every throw Lamar Jackson makes is going to be evaluated and is going to tick off a million up or a million down in a, in a way. And there's going to be people like that. And, you know, maybe we should all just be like, and I know the team is going to be like this. Hey, we're not thinking about this. We're in season. We're going to deal with it in the off season. But you can't help but think Lamar rips off a, an amazing year or Lamar has two games in a row, two straight losses against good teams. And he throws two interceptions in each game and they're both, horrendous interceptions and then we're sitting here on pod like a raven the following monday being like well look we definitely want to pay him but where's that line it, like where is the line where it's finally just like funny money that maybe he might be setting the franchise back i don't want to do that stuff but because it looks like it's not coming until next offseason it's going to be inevitable um that, that we're going to have these conversations yeah it'll be a challenge for that organization to block out that noise that will be happening every week as tim mentioned every day uh it's gonna turn into like looking at the stock market every hour something happens and the stock plummets and then something positive news happens and all of a sudden it explodes they're gonna try to keep it out i mean lamar's doing this to himself in a you know in the not really in a negative way but like he seems to be okay with it he's made the decision that if he gets asked about this every single week, um, he's okay with probably just punting on the question and saying that he's not going to discuss it until the end of the year. But he knows it's coming, and he's okay with waiting for a, for the end of the you know end of the season to have it happen anyway. It's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be toughest for us, though, really, <laughs> to not overanalyze every one of those games and have twenty minutes on this show that talks about should we really keep him at, at the number that he wants to have, but. Uh, with not having to pay him out of pocket, I guess we could view it as if he's doing really, really well, um, we'll be having football wins and that'll be fun and nice. And if things aren't going that well in the field, then we'll be able to say, well, maybe that's, maybe that's knocking his value down a little bit and we'll be able to afford him and another player on the roster. But, uh, it's tough. It's tough. And, uh, I'm at Ed, I'm at like Edgar Allen puh now levels of, anxiety as we discussed uh, a couple of episodes ago on the on the scale of Edgar Allan Poe fear with this with this contract because uh you know you just feel more confident once the guy's signed and, and happy to be at the at the team that you root for but that hasn't happened yet so we will have to see uh I'll quickly guys before we move on hold on I just want to do two I things. find it humorous. I want to do two things yeah, what, on the Lamar thing I'm sorry I don't mean to cut you off here but it is the main topic there's a positive and a negative here, and I just want to get your opinions. Positively, Bashadi says, 
Without a QB you believe in, life sucks as an NFL owner. And it sucks <laughs> as an NFL fan, too. Trust me. We know Kyle Bowler was here for way too long. So I think that they appreciate that. And then this is the line that got overanalyzed a bit in the media uh, for the Ravens and, and people being like, well, what does he actually mean here? This is a Bashadi quote. Quote, the kid is so obsessed with winning a Super Bowl, obviously referencing Lamar Jackson, that I think deep down he doesn't think he's worthy, Bashadi said in his first interview to reporters in four years. Good call, Antonio. That comes from Jamison Hensley. Uh, continuing the quote, I think he wants to say, now I deserve to be on top. People can speculate any way they want. I don't think he is turned on by money that much, and he knows it's coming one way or another. People wanted to spin that negatively of like, oh, so you're not going to pay him until he wins a Super Bowl and you're trying to put it on him. I think people are overanalyzing that because it's Lamar Jackson. He's a very polarizing figure and one of the NFL stars that, that, that you know, frankly, you could probably power rank him in the top two or three guys of next guy to get paid. Uh, you know, I can't really think of too many guys that are ahead of him on that list at the moment. So what did you make of those? The kid's so obsessed that deep down he doesn't think he's worthy type of comment from Bashadi. Well, I found that comment very interesting, but it, it's for me it's the back half of that quote that is all of it. It's uh, you know, it's Lamar's going to get paid. <laughs> like he's going to get whether it's the Ravens paying him or, you know, the Miami Dolphins in a few years, someone is going to pay Don't say that. uh Lamar Jackson a lot of money. Um so he's going to get paid, I think, like, kind of regardless of how this season goes. I mean, like, I, I think we've – I don't want to say reverse engineer. Joe Flacco got more money than he was going to, certainly, with that Super Bowl run. But the Ravens were going to give him a sizable contract, I think, regardless of what happened that year. Like, he was going to get paid regardless because his contract was up. And he was, you know, I will defend Joe Flacco. He's a top 15 quarterback most weeks. Um, and so, like, uh, yeah, Lamar is going to get paid, I think, kind of regardless of how this year goes. And, and and I think, like, you kind of nailed it a little earlier, Antonio. Like, I don't think it bothers him because if he did, he'd do an extension. He'd get the money. Like, he's guaranteed $22 million. Like, I mean, worst comes to worst, the Ravens are probably tagging him for another 20, I, I think it's like 25, 26 million, 27 million, somewhere like that. Um, might even be in the 30s by now. But so, like, they could tag him twice, but um, I don't think he's worried about it because, like, you know, if he was, he'd be negotiating uh, with uh, Eric DaCosta, and um, as he's his own agent, as we've mentioned. Instead, he was like at Morgan State playing lacrosse and. Uh, handing out chick-fil-a in the student union or whatever so i i don't living think living his he's... best life man <laughs> it looked like a great time so <laughs> uh like i you know i don't think he's too too worried about it and and i think um you know i think as fans that's understandably frustrating you want him to be locked up long term but i i think the money's coming and i think i think it kind of in some ways you know the injury risk is obviously the big thing and with him having missed like the end of last year that's a concern but it kind of behooves him to wait like he just makes more money like Dak Prescott broke his ankle in half and still got like yeah what was it like 130 40 million and like 85 of that guaranteed or something so you know he's he's gonna get huge money regardless so you know, it as Bashadi said, it, they it's been interesting the Ravens putting this on Lamar. Like I will say, like kind of almost publicly pressuring him to be like, well, he's the one who 
uh, you know, doesn't want to <laughs> sign right now. And Bashani mentioned unless he has a change of heart. So I found that aspect of what the Ravens are doing interesting in terms of, you know, subtle PR battles in the media and stuff. But um, on the whole, yeah, I, I don't think Lamar is concerned about it. So I don't know if it'll impact him. It could impact the team as a whole, certainly going forward. But yeah, I, I think he gets paid regardless. So I don't think he's too worried about it. All right, so Jace tackled the the second quote. I'm going to tackle the first one of Bishotti saying not having, what was it, not having a franchise quarterback sucks, yeah. not having a star quarterback sucks. I, I mean, I'm going to be a jerk here, but that's just the most PR speech ever because <laughs> if they had to move on from him or he chose to move on, they would draft a guy and say, I got so much confidence in this new guy that he's going to be a great quarterback and our team's going to be amazing. I just... That I don't take much stock in that. Uh, Jace, I enjoy, however, that you brought up Miami because I was gonna maybe I was gonna put the conspiracy hat on and do two minutes on how I'm terrified that Lamar Jackson hasn't signed a long-term deal because he's just waiting for the Dolphins to give up on Tua Tagovailoa and then <laughs> ask to go down there. We know he that's where he's from. We know he's a big fan of that area. He's back down there all the time. Sometimes midweek, <laughs> also, during the season. Uh, so that would concern me very much. But then I felt a little bit better with that the Ravens, I read, the Ravens could franchise him twice in two different seasons after this season. So it would very much have to be a, a Lamar forcing his way out of Baltimore. And he's tweet, he sent some nice tweets out that uh, he has no interest in doing that. He loves being in Baltimore but it would just be nice if we could know that he was going to be there <laughs> yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, show that love with a signature on a piece of paper. <laughs> just take our money. Just take it. Just take the Baltimore money. All right, um, let's move on from that news that unfortunately it was not a lot of news and talk about something else that's kind of news but not really, uh, and that's Harbaugh addressing... Uh, adjusting off-season workouts and training camp to try to reduce injuries compared to last season. This is something so small and so simple and so stupid, and yet I am so happy to hear it, and I'm so in favor of it. The Ravens had 800 injuries last year. They had ACL tears in consecutive plays. All these players were getting hurt. Even guys who came back you know, early in the season or mid-season, so many injuries in the off-season and it's nice to see a veteran, tenured, recently extended coach still try to change things to make a difference on his football team. Instead of just banging his head against the wall and saying, we're going to do things the way that we did things because that's the way that we do things. Uh, and we're just, you know, it's, it was fate that we had this many injuries and that's not going to happen this time. Uh, instead, no, he did want to try things differently. So this is a quote from him. We're going to approach OTAs differently. We're going to approach training camps and big picture scheduled things differently in terms of the way we ramp and in terms of the way we time practices, how long we're on the field and what we're doing on the field and how we pace the rhythm of the practices. He's talking about shorter practices. Apparently they're not going to be practicing with any other teams in the offseason, which they had done uh, in the past with those joint practices. Um less competitive type practices, that was another Harbaugh quote, and then even our practices will go less ones against ones, starters against starters, than we have done in the past. Things like that I think will help us. Uh, this sounds good to me, 
And I'm not ever going to say, oh, no, now they're not going to be as conditioned because John Harbaugh isn't being the toughest offseason coach in the NFL like he was in the past. Thoughts thoughts by you guys on this? Oh, I mean, I love the change. It's, it's definitely um, – I mean, I think you saw certainly last season – the NFL is, I mean, 17 games, 18 weeks is an insanely long time. Like, the Ravens are going to get their practice time in. <laughs> uh, so I think at this point it's just to just maintain health is so important. And so I think, yeah, ramping down the physicality of your practices to keep your guys, like, fresh for the games is important. I mean, obviously the Ravens were just, like, killed by injuries last season. And, and I actually, I thought um, you mentioned uh, – when he was discussing giving Harbaugh the uh, extension, um, Steve Bisciotti, uh mentioned uh, something that you kind of touched on, Antonio, about Harbaugh's evolution. And he said, I think John's grown and grown and grown. It's kind of interesting. I don't feel like I'm just signing up the same guy. I think that's really a compliment to him. I really feel like there's a rebirth in John as the years go on. Things that matter to him don't matter as much anymore. And I think this is, you know, this change to the practice schedule is like a perfect illustration of that idea of how John Harbaugh changed. Because, yeah, he he used to be very tough. I mean, remember the Super Bowl season, there was famously almost a player mutiny led by <laughs> Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, amongst others of the veterans on the team. Uh, regarding, you know, just everything, the Harbaugh program and practice stuff and, and all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, to see how he, he's changed um, it, it is encouraging. And I think that's, well, that is why he has been such a good coach. And this is just another kind of example of that. You know, you, you, have, you have to learn and adapt to what has been thrown at this team. And uh, so it's nice to see. Right. I mean, you, that final point I think is the big one from Jace. You're only in this role so long by changing when you have to change. You can't always constantly, especially with the way the league is so different, even from 2008 when Harbaugh was there. So yeah, this is a smart move. I mean, after what happened yesterday, yesterday, excuse me, what happened last season, you cannot just sit there and go, ah, it was dumb luck. We'll just run it back and see what happens. Like that was, beyond coincidental dumb luck so good to see that they're making a change and god willing it'll help the uh help the ravens stay a bit healthier than they were last year small personnel note another player officially leaving baltimore free agent uh chris westry signed with the panthers uh today yep on monday as we record and that's another defensive back uh, that the Ravens do not have their current depth behind uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. Uh, seven, was it seven guys, six guys? Amon Marshall, Kevon Seymour, Robert Jackson, Kevin Tolliver, and Khalil Dorsey. Not a lot of security, not a lot of experience, not a lot of starts. Uh, and this is becoming more and more of a, well, they should probably draft some depth in the secondary too they will be drafting some depth in the secondary with one of their 800 picks uh any thoughts on uh, on how early they need to be do- doing this based on the guys they have in the room right now i remember back in the when we were kind of previewing or talking about some guys to watch at the combine and we were mentioned like a guy like sauce gardner and how like the ravens secondary didn't seem like a need and then i pretty much saw this list antonio of who the Ravens defensive backs that weren't named Marlon Humphrey, specifically the corners that weren't named, yeah, Marlon Humphrey and uh, Marcus Peters were. And I have concerns, so I am not going to be shocked. 
in the slightest if the Ravens use that 14th pick on a cornerback, especially given, you know, Marcus Peters, I believe, turns 30 next year and is coming off a major injury. So, um, yeah, it's a concern. I think we saw uh, in evidence of Joe Burrow throwing for 500 yards against several of the guys. This very class, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why I think it's important. So, yeah, I I definitely have concerns. And and the the more I stare at names like this, the more – I'm not convinced, but the more I'm like, oh, they might – you know, if Stingley or Gardner are on the board at 14 – might be taking a corner. Yeah, Stingley is the one that, you know, incredible freshman year with that insane LSU team has kind of fallen off a bit. So he's all over the place in terms of, like, mock drafts. Sauce Gardner is, like, the guy that, you know, I'm with Jace. It's weird that as much as we're pounding the table for Jordan Davis and maybe some other guys that we'll talk about here in just a segment. I was going to say what a tease, but then I messed up the word. So never mind. I got way too ahead of myself there. If Sauce Gardner's available, even with some other guys that they might like, it might be a run-the-card-up situation, as much as I hate to say it, because, look, you nailed it. Marcus Peters coming off a major injury. Marlon Humphrey coming off a major injury. Your two only professional corners, sorry, guys, coming off major injuries. And it's a position that, if you've watched the Ravens, even since Pod Like a Raven started just a couple of seasons ago, it is a position that always, 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 always gets depleted. Not even just in the year, you know, the year from hell last year where everybody got injured. Any year, it seems like the Ravens are without corners. They need minimum four good NFL cornerbacks in that room, and right now they have two. So, you know, whether it's a sign some more veteran guys, you know, see if cap casualties later, later, the Ravens love doing that type of stuff. But unfortunately, you know, with so many picks, the Ravens have, I believe, nine picks in the first four rounds of this draft, which is like the most since I think the seventies or something. Something, something insane. Because um, you you know you know uh, old Eric DaCosta, he's from the Ozzie Newsome school. Even with all of that capital, you want it to you would love it to just be like a oh they're good. Let's just get some depth and like best player available. Let's really bring some more talent in. No, this team has plenty of holes to fill and cornerback. And for some people, they've probably been saying this for a while, but sneakily might be their biggest need, if not, you know, easily top two, top three. Yeah, it feels like weeks ago, this team was out of holes. I was jumping up and down. I I, I said it a few weeks ago. I joked to my co-hosts in a text, we don't even need the draft. And <laughs> boy, has that changed quickly uh, with the pullback of Zadarius Smith and the uh, lack of just blatant lack of depth uh, at corner now. So, yes, I'll take the picks back. Thank you very much. Uh, That's just me (laughs) speaking much too soon. And we're going to need most of them. And we're going to need most of them for a couple of different positions. But we may not have as many picks as we did before because there are some NFL draft whispers happening. And they're involving the Ravens, and you might not believe them. I don't believe them because the Ravens don't trade picks to move up. But there have been whispers, and this is the last thing we have to talk about in the Ravens segment. Baltimore currently picking at 14, but there are a little bit of uh, suspicions of originally projected top three pick, Kayvon Thibodeau, of dropping in the first round to as late as 9, 8, 9, 10 in there. And with the Ravens at that point only being four to five spots away, and apparently being very big fans of him, taking him out to dinner, a little wine and dine, 
little wine and dine and move up to nine, uh, you know, to take a Kayvon Thibodeau. And I'm going to turn to my two co-hosts for, for the thoughts, maybe a little bit more info. I'm just reading some of this stuff uh, pretty much as we recorded. So I'll turn to Tim here first if he, if he can give us some details on this potential of the Ravens moving up, trading picks, dare I say, to move up a couple of spots and stealing a Kayvon Thibodeau early in the first round. Yeah, so this report comes from uh, Tony Pauline. This report comes from Tony Pauline, uh, NFL draft analyst at ProFootballNetwork.com. Uh, and also in his Twitter bio, lifelong fan of the mightiest band of them all, Led Zeppelin. So you know you can respect him. Uh, he he basically tweeted out during the Oregon Pro Day update, which was last Friday as we record this, that Thibodeau was meeting. I'll just read the tweet uh, direct here. Meeting with New York Jets contingent this afternoon, scheduled for dinner tonight with the Baltimore Ravens. So look, we talk about that capital as Antonio so professionally teased and got us into this new segment claps to you my friend um there there are rumors that Thibodeau who has made some comments at the scouting combine and people are questioning his his uh drive and his love of football and all those fun things that scouts love to talk about and I want to talk about that in a second after I get Jace's opinion on all this all this stuff um that if he slides to eight nine definitely ten the Ravens might be interested in trading a few picks, trading a couple of these third rounders they have with their first rounder, bumping up a couple slots, and grabbing uh, a Oregon defensive lineman, which the last time they did that, you know, quick check, worked out pretty well. The guy's name was Haloti Nada, the first rounder out of Oregon that they selected many, many moons ago at this point. Um, so, Jace, before we get into, because I have, I have some piece, um, some different things from Bruce Feldman, who is one of the best college football writers out here, and he's talked to... He's talked to a number of scouts and a number of college profe- uh, you know, personnel people uh, about Thibodeau, just from you being the college guy here on Pond Licker Raven. We talked about this off-air, quote-unquote, and you were, uh, you were extremely excited. So tell us why. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just the level of prospect Thibodeau is, the level of you know the athleticism he brings. He just took over, like, I felt like so many games he just, like, destroyed i think it was a game against cal he like but like every there there would be games where like every play it seemed like he was just in the backfield cause you know causing havoc he he was pretty much i don't know that he was the consensus but he was rated by some like the number one prospect uh recruit prospect in his class and certainly i don't think the ravens have have ever you know drafted someone like that or it's certainly been a while since they've had a talent like that uh, potentially within reach. And, you know, I think if there's criticisms of Thibodeau, he never did actually hit double-digit sacks in college. You know, when the Ravens drafted Terrell Suggs, he had 22 sacks uh, or whatever it was in college, uh, set the college record. So there, there was a track record of production there. But, uh, you know, he was also double-teamed quite frequently, uh, sometimes, you know, triple-teamed. Uh, he, he's, just, he's just so explosive. And for me, I think... You know, he, he's fallen, but it was weird. He was pretty much pegged as, like, the first pick. And then you get into this this pre-draft process. And now Travon Walker's going second in people's mocks. Uh, while, you know, Thibodeau, who I would say had three, like, more productive years and stand out, more explosive. Um, 
player certainly has is yes seeing him fall i've seen him as late as like 10 or 11 even um but uh yeah i i think if you if you're the ravens and you're able to get a press like prospect like him he's like the kind of guy i think that is kind of worth these big swings um in the draft like you have to the whole goal is to get talent and if you can get Kayvon thibodeau and he's as good as you think his potential can be and it's the same kind of argument with Adafa Owe, but with even more track record with Thibodeau. You know, those are your defensive ends for the next, hopefully, 10 years. A, a real Dwight Freedy, Robert Mathis situation. Um, so that would, uh, you know, be great if that works out. Like, uh, that I'd love I'd love him on the Ravens. I think he'd just be, like, the, the sort of, like, athlete and player they're looking for to hopefully solve their pass rush issues. So the OA conversation is interesting because, remember, you know, famously, uh, and even us on this podcast, we're not incredibly enthused about Adafi OA going in the first round after uh, zero sacks in his final year in college at Penn State. Obviously, it looks like that's going to turn out, um, you know, if he continues to progress. Nice job, EDC. You might have nailed that one. I think that comparison is different, though, Jace. I really do, because it's, 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 it's a lack of production thing. But with Owe, a lot of it just seemed about how raw he was, and it wasn't some of the things I'm going to list now. So this comes from Bruce Feldman's uh, 2022 NFL mock draft that he released on Monday, and what he did is he got a bunch of anonymous sources throughout the NFL and college football got opinions on all these top guys, and then built a mock draft based on their opinions. And I'm just going to read these off because there's a theme, unfortunately, with Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, And I'll start right here. Quote, when he wants to go, he can really go. He's got good speed to power, and he has excellent get off, but he cannot play in space at at an elite NFL level. Uh, I definitely think he's more of a 4-3 DN than a 3-4 outside linebacker. He also doesn't have a big counter game as a rusher. He's going to have to develop a second move. Uh, another one here. He's a high-waisted long guy and his get-off is elite. Going into the game, you really worried about that, and he was going to beat us off the ball. So remember, really good at getting off the line of scrimmage, and he's 6'4", 254 pounds, and runs a 4'5", 40. Take that into consideration. Here's another one. There's talent there, but what are you getting? He plays in spurts. He's got it. There's just a little bit of stiffness there. In a weird way, he reminds me of Josh Rosen. I think they're both really good football players, and if they really concentrated on football, they'd be really good at it. But you listen to Thibodeau talk, and you wonder about his mindset. And I'm going to cut in here. This is on the scouting comb- at the scouting combine. He was doing things, talking about expanding his brand and different things that he wants to, like marketing opportunities he wants to get involved in when you're trying to get drafted into the league to play football. That worries me. Uh, going back to the quote, you listen to Thibodeau talk, you wonder about his mindset. I think whatever the perception of being an NFL guy is going to be totally different to what it actually is. So, like, he has this idea in his head already. Um, another guy said he's a generational talent and a freak, the best D, D lineman in the Pac-12 since Vita Vea. But I did think there was a cons- problem with his consistency and his effort. If he didn't have much success early in our game, he kind of shut it down. And the last one here, I don't see it, man. He's good. He's not great. He was a non-factor in so many games. He's an independent contractor. His first step is unbelievable. You just wonder how important is football to him. Now, look, I'm going to defer to Jace when watching Thibodeau. He's watched him way more than I have. He's on the West Coast as well, which is, you know, uh, you you stay up for Pac-12 games more than I do. Um, I worry about the consistency there um, and – that, that type of stuff scares me. All of that being said, 
if they are confident enough in trading up to grab him and Eric DaCosta, who values these picks more than anybody in the league, uh, maybe outside of Howie Roseman, but we'll get to that in a bit, is more than willing to trade some of these away to move up a couple spots to take him, you know, I'm going to talk myself into it. Yeah. I w- yeah, I will say his, some of his comments at the at the combine at least gave me a little pause. Certainly, Tim, and, and you're right. He was there were some games he got. I mean, Utah in particular, they kind of, um, kind of like wiped him off. I don't want to say off the map, but uh, he was he was quiet in those games, and Utah uh, blew out the Ducks twice. So there's definitely concerns, uh, Antonio, but. I don't know. I'm still, I think, willing to overlook them because I, I do feel like at some level people get too into their own heads in the draft process. It's like you, this guy was like pegged for the number one pick for like nine months, like through the college football season. Like Thibodeau seemed like he started the off season at number one. And then it just kind of became Aiden Hutchinson because he was the Heisman runner up. He had 14 sacks. Hutchinson's great, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I do think people can overthink these things sometimes, but you know, as for building a brand, I think uh, Thibodeau would fit in perfectly with Marlon Humphrey uh, on our team. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not too as worried about that. But uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting, and I think I think we want it, Antonio, because we know the truth, which is that the Ravens are going to trade down uh, like four picks and just uh, draft it a defensive tackle which is great if it's jordan davis but uh yeah <laughs> jace you just said so many you put so many truths in one <laughs> in one segment yeah look a uh, part of me wants to just say that all this negative talk is uh coming right from the scouts and the team not the scouts sorry the uh the agents and, and the reps of trayvon walker and uh hutchinson <laughs> the other you know the two other rushers in this draft to just push down Thibodeau so that they they get their guys uh higher in the draft so I'm gonna pretend that that's what's happening but if he does if if this stuff is true you know I've seen on tape from scouts and coaches and all that stuff it does not sound like the type of player that the Ravens would draft number one in the first round number two high in the first round and number three that they would give up picks to move up to get even higher in the first round. It just uh, does not sound like a recipe for what the Ravens like to do. If they're moving up, it's because they think this like it checks every single box a hundred times, um, but maybe is slightly undervalued because of his position. And so he drops, you know, six to seven uh, spots in a round and the Ravens would move up and get him. But they have other needs, as I just discussed earlier. So <laughs> I could see them... Yeah, Chase. They're gonna they're gonna move back four spots, not up four spots, and take whoever is the best remaining offensive lineman or interior defensive lineman because those are areas of need for them, and they're not gonna worry about it. And then they're gonna be right in the end, and it's gonna be annoying. <laughs> They'll have four pretty good players instead of like one superstar, and that's it, and no depth with any of the other picks. So. <sighs> We like to see exciting things during the draft from the Ravens to mo- to make these kind of moves. But if Jace, if you had to give it a percentage of likelihood, you're sitting there in your couch during the draft, percentage of likelihood, and let's pretend he goes to nine, right? We'll split the difference in that eight to ten range. What percent would you actually expect the Ravens to move up five spots uh, 
versus not, or ver- just versus moving backwards in the draft too. Yeah, moving up, I think we're at like ten percent. Yeah, that sounds, like, that sounds about right. I like it. It isn't completely unprecedented. Tim mentioned they jumped up one whole spot for Nada when they drafted Joe Flacco. They I think they had like the eighth pick to start, and they like traded back into like the twenties and then moved up to eighteen. They were all over the place that first round. So. Um, you know, it's not unprecedented for them to trade up, but uh, they certainly trade back more more, more than they can do up. So, yeah, I'll say like 10% probably. And they're just going to they're just gonna say and probably realistically feel in the organization that at spot 14, they don't have – there will be a guy. Like, there will be a top guy. You know, they evaluate them on tiers. So they'll say we still had a tier 1 guy available at 14, so why would we give up assets to get a different tier 1 guy – at nine that's yeah. usually is how the ravens and, operate and while this makes draft day less fun it's why the ravens are so good year over year they don't they don't overreact in the ways we want like i'll never forget um antonio i because i believe we watched this together in our old dorm uh i, I think but um the 2012 nfl draft i believe uh, they had like the 27th pick or the 28th pick. And it was the first year, I believe the NFL split night one of the draft on its own night. And we watched the whole thing. Uh, and then the Ravens traded out a 28, uh, for a day two pick, which I believe ended up being Courtney Upshaw. They traded from like 28 to like 34. And it was just like the most heartbreaking thing. I was like, I, I spent like six hours of my life watching a draft the Ravens never made a pick in uh, <laughs> but you know it worked it kind of worked out in the end so who knows they got their guy but yeah that's the Ravens way and just the last little thing I'll add is that the Odafe Owe like quote-unquote risk signing drafting him when he had zero sacks was because everything else was there including the personality including like how he was as a person they loved that and they saw the motor so they believe that the sacks would come. This the stuff that you're progressing or you know trying to th- see into the future. If those things are true, those are harder I think to get. If you're not motivated in a in a top college football game, I don't know if you're gonna suddenly change your personality type. So I realize we didn't uh, we didn't ask Tim this, so I'll I'll turn to Tim to uh, to fill out the segment here. But officially uh, on percentages of the Ravens moving up four spots versus not Jace to recap is that a 10%, 10% likelihood to move up those four spots, 90% likelihood to stay. And then in parentheses, move back. Uh, I'm about the same. I might go even smaller. I'm going to put them at 5% <laughs> to move up four spots. So Tim, uh, where are you on the yeah, just to percentage be, breakdown? Just to be a bit different. I'll play the optimist. I'll go, I'll go 15. Like, there you go. like I don't, it's a combination of one, you know, if they get him in a room and by the way, his agent or somebody has told him, stop talking about your, you know, your image and talk about how much you love the game or whatever. And maybe he just doesn't want to do that. Maybe he's just a different kind of cat. Who knows? Um, but if they get him in a room and they love him, love him, love him, love him. I think it increases a little bit. That being said, the combination of, as you were talking about there, Antonio, the work ethic thing is a number one Ravens thing. The play like a Raven mantra, as corny as it is, is a very, very real thing to them. Um, and, you know, not wanting to trade up almost ever. Uh, I, I would be more – it'd be more likely 
if let's just say, and this isn't going to happen, but Thibodeau, Sauce Gardner, Jordan Davis, and name somebody else are there at 14, they trade down because they're like, well, we'll get one of the four. Like that, that seems way more likely to me than them moving up to get a guy that has these motivational question marks, which could be an issue. All right, so that is going to wrap up our Ravens segment. We're going to do the uh, random Raven and then turn to some NFL news and notes. And I'm up this week for the random Raven. Um, and hand up. I did not know who this player was, and they have quite a track record on the Ravens. So either I'm slipping and getting old and forgetting more guys. When I was younger, I feel like I used to be able to name the entire roster. And now there's players who I, I can't remember the names anymore, and yet they had solid production. So this random Raven played for four seasons in Baltimore from 2002 to 2005. It was a sixth-round pick by the Ravens out of southern Mississippi. He played in every single game for the team in those four seasons. And this is what I'm talking about. I can't, can't, I can't believe it. But he only started five of those games. He ended up totaling 177 tackles, eight interceptions, and four and a half sacks in his four years in Baltimore. And it's extremely notable that... Three of those eight interceptions were returned for touchdowns, including a 98-yard interception return in his rookie season, and then a 94-yard return in another season. He wore the number 49, I'm just going to come out, come out and say it with that number, and he played one season in 2007 with the San Francisco 49ers, where again he played in almost every game. He played in 15 games, and then never played in the NFL again. <laughs> He had five seasons where he played in every single game but one. And then after that 49er season, never played in the NFL again. So that is my random Raven. Uh, and if we've got some serious puzzled faces, I'll add on. I didn't give a ton of information, so I can add on a clue at the end of the episode. But I think I might have this because I think it's a guy that I've wanted to do multiple times and then just never have enough info on. I might, I might have this. I'm pulling nothing on 49. So. <laughs> That's what I'm pulling on. I'm pulling on 49. See, I have nothing. Uh, so uh, I feel like I should remember a guy who had multiple interception return touchdowns. but uh, Like him and Ed Reed just yeah. did, doing all of them apparently yeah, in that I, span. I got nothing at the moment. but Very bizarre. Did not know him. A lot of production. A lot of success. And then never heard from again after one year in San Francisco. So I'll go over those clues again uh, at the end of the episode. But let's turn now to the NFL. And I'm gonna, it's like a half turn. You know, it's a pivot. We're talking March Madness. It's a one-foot pivot into the NFL because this is half uh, related to the Ravens and then half related to another team in the NFL. And that's Bobby Wagner, the linebacker from Seattle, signing with the Rams and not the Baltimore Ravens. Because somehow the Rams still have money to pay players. And I don't understand it. Wagner signs a five-year deal with the Rams for $50 million. It was apparently between Baltimore and L.A. for a while in terms of where he was going to go. He would have been such a lovely fit. It would have been, you know, another risk of getting a late career Seattle defensive player onto your roster. But, you know, one didn't work, but the other one certainly could. And I'm devastated because it would have been a really, really, really good fit, but there's no chance that the Ravens were ever giving, uh, I, I want to say he's like 32, 33-year-old linebacker. Maybe he's a bit younger, actually, but 
an other side of 30 linebacker, a five-year, $50 million deal. Crushed nonetheless. I don't know your guys' thoughts on uh, did the Ravens miss here or uh, are they going to be smart in the long term? I, I don't fault, and I don't want to like name check because this is going to sound a little bit meaner than it's, than it's meant to be, but the Jacina Anderson kind of like teased all of us with this because she's the one tweeted like, Oh, the Ravens are still in this. And then Ravens Twitter went nuts and went, Oh man, it might be in the ballpark. Oh, let's see. And it seemed like Wagner wanted to go to the Rams all along. Like this was just going to, he wanted to stay out West, wanted to stay with the team that he probably, you know, let's be, let's call a spade a spade probably has a better chance to get to the Super Bowl based on talent. And in the just awful conference they play in at this point. Um, and yeah, if this was edge rusher, if this was corner, if this was offense or defensive line help, and they missed out on a guy who could still contribute at a very high level for a year or two, I would be way more upset than I am now. As I am right now, I'm kind of treating it like Jace is, you know, with the, uh, with the Lamar stuff. It's kind of like, all right, well, it'll happen or it didn't happen. Let's move on. <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of surprised by that, Tim, because I am devastated that the Ravens didn't get uh, Bobby Wagner. I, he would have been so perfect to me, and I like. I think like NFL certainly is going in a direction where linebacker. I don't want to say is a less and less important position. Obviously, the best linebackers in the NFL prove how important they are. Your Darius Leonard's, your Fred Warner's, etc. But, but, like, Bobby Wagner was that guy for the Seattle for a long time. And Antonio, you nailed it. He turns 32 in July. So um, he is a linebacker on the other side of 40. And that's why I won't say I'm surprised when I saw five years, 50 million. And I remember reading something that the Ravens had, like, 7 million in cap space uh, for this offseason. So it's like, oh, so, yeah, that's why he's on the Rams now. But the like, crab cakes, Jace, the crab know, cakes, yeah, the, you so, know, all things being equal, that's got to be worth at least 3 I, million right there. <laughs> I do believe it probably came down to the Ravens and the Rams, but it does seem like the the Rams. Yeah, what what I saw with the Rams paid up, it's like, oh yeah, of course he'd go to the Rams. He gets to 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 beat his former team twice a year that now doesn't have a star quarterback uh, that may or may not be employing Baker Mayfield in the months to come. But uh, I get why he went to the Rams, but he he just would have been so perfect for the Ravens. I think with distance uh, and because they weren't the most hurt unit on the team. We forget about the Ravens' issues at linebacker, namely your Patrick Queens being dragged for multiple yards on key downs. Um, you know, over-reliance on Josh Bynes. Who no offense to Josh Bynes is not as good a player as, like, Bobby Wagner, who's, like, a five-time All-Pro. <laughs> um, uh, and I just felt like Bobby Wagner would have just been such a perfect fit for, like, what they need. Like, a smart, like, sure tackler in the middle. <laughs> um, even at his age. Uh, he's just so smart and uh you know he's a great tackler and <laughs> that's you know the two the two but what made ray lewis so good for all those years he was smart and a great tackler and uh you know um that's, i know that's simplistic a little bit but i i just thought he would have been such a great like home run veteran addition but as i said i'm not when you see the contract it's not surprising you got the rams as to i think you mentioned it antonio i don't know how the rams do this they extended matt stafford this offseason i don't know if we ever talked about that on the show but like uh they have so much money committed or just yeah they're just like yeah sure we'll bring bobby wagner on and sign alan robinson and uh probably 
in some ways are a, a better team than the team that just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, so it's very odd. So I don't know how they do it, what, what they're doing differently. I don't know if this is like a Saints situation where every year it was like the Saints are $80 million over the salary cap, and you're like, that can't be true. And then they go 13-3 and with all those same players. So um, I don't know if that's what's going on, but it's certainly interesting. And you look at the franchises, they could not go about roster building differently so i don't think any of us expect bobby wagner to be on this team four years from now uh i i kind of view it as they have this short window where they're trying to win as many super bowls as they can and then eventually they will have to tear everything down uh and and start over so they'll pay him for these first few years apparently the sort of the details on this contract are not super super clear in terms of how the money is distributed but i would uh you know, you can come back here in three years on Pod Like a Raven, and I'll be talking about them having just released Bobby Wagner and whether he's now a good fit for the Ravens <laughs> as a 35-year-old linebacker getting a one-year deal to, to fill a hole on the team. So for now, uh, whatever. Great, Rams. And then talk to me when you guys are build tearing the whole thing down because you have all these older players on inflated contracts. But I'm just a tiny bit salty right now. <laughs> Another deal that happened, and this was a trade in the AFC, the Chiefs trading away Tyreek Hill. That's right, Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, uh, where he then receives a crazy, ridiculous record-breaking extension from them. And it is going to be, you talk about the Lamar conversation every week where he has a good or bad game about his contract. I am already excited about the week-to-week Tua stories, Tua physically unable to throw the ball to Tyreek Hill downfield, Um, the underthrown interceptions that are coming, Hill throwing the helmet on the sideline in the first quarter of week one. Um, So I kind of think it's going to be a disaster. As long as Tua is their quarterback, it seems like a complete mismatch of of player types and strengths. But the Dolphins are only doing this because two is going to be there one more year. But uh, I turn to my co-hosts now with their thoughts on this trade, both from a Chiefs perspective uh, and a Dolphins perspective, given uh, what the Dolphins had to give up to get him, too. This is not an original thought, but this is era 2.0 under Patrick Mahomes with the with the Kansas City Chiefs. They are Travis Kelsey's getting older. They've gotten rid of Tyreek Hill. You're never going to pay Tyreek Hill the money that Devontae Adams and Christian Kirk just got in the free agent market because you can't with the contract that Mahomes has. And they're going to have to rely on their other guys. They are you know, they just signed, I believe it was Valdez Scantling. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is obviously there as well now with the, guys, the other guys that they already have on the roster. And Mahomes, part of the appeal of Patrick Mahomes is he's supposed to make these good guys great. Um, and for a guy like Tyreek Hill, who his whole game is speed, he ain't blocking. He ain't, you know, he ain't running across the middle. He is in space, down the field, speedster. That's the first thing that goes for these guys. So I think it's a decent move by the Chiefs. For the Dolphins, look, I also think it's kind of a win for them. I don't know if it's going to work, but I think what they're doing is they have Mike McDaniel there now. McDaniel's obviously said all the right things about Tua. Load up on weapons for Tua, and if he can't make it work now with offensive genius Mike McDaniel as the coach, then you know you have to move on. Um, And I think, yeah, you know, people were like, well, I can't wait to see him as the Debo because obviously Mike McDaniel coming from the the 49ers organization, 
He ain't Debo. He can't run between the tackles like Debo can because Debo is an absolute freak when it comes to his physicality as a wide receiver. Um, but I think this gives Tua the best chance to be something. Now, Antonio laying out the Tyreek open twenty, you know, by 20 yards and Tua can't throw it deep and misses him and Tyreek gets frustrated because he's a diva wide receiver. See all that stuff. But I think give him another piece. Let McDaniel fool around with Gasecki and um, and uh, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill. They also signed Raheem Mostert as well, who was with him in San Francisco. There's a lot of pieces there for McDaniel to use to set up Tua for success. I think I think it, it's good for both sides um, in that way. Is it going to work? I have my doubts. That's my thing. Like, I see the path for it working for all sides. Like, you get... You find way to as good with kind of the quick game, and you can get quick passes to Tyreek Hill and use like his speed. But I also see what you said, like him, you know, uh, not getting the yards and the 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 touches that he got with the Chiefs. And maybe he doesn't care about that because he just signed, you know, the biggest wide receiver contract of all time. So who cares? He got his money. Uh, that's possible too. Um, but, uh, I, I just, I don't love it for either side, really. Like, I think for the Chiefs, you got worse getting rid of Tyreek Hill, um, uh, certainly. And, like, I think they're, they're gonna miss him less than I think people think, probably, but I don't know. I think this makes him just a little less dangerous, because his speed was so special with Patrick Mahomes' arm, uh, and now they don't have quite that same element, even though they have some fast guys on the roster. Hill was clearly the best of the best there. Like I said, Hill's numbers are probably going down in Miami. Uh, and, yeah, like, for Miami, he's still – he's Tyreek Hill's younger than you think because I feel like the Chiefs have been on the main stage, like, so long. It feels like he's been around forever. And he's been on their team since 2016, but he's only 28. So, you know, you're still kind of in his prime there. But, you know, four-year deal, you're, you're getting two years of uh, – his 30s and as tim said the, the speed that can go uh at any time really so i like i don't love paying him as much as he got and i don't know if it'll work i just don't love it all the way around i think it's a strange trade that i think makes the, the chiefs worse than the immediate and i think it does make the dolphins better but i just don't know how long and then yeah if it ends up you know two is not your guy then yeah then you're having to figure out the quarterback uh again so i and, and then you have a whole other set of problems so yeah i don't know i don't it's it's a strange trade certainly one i didn't see coming kind of came out of nowhere um and it's really surprising but i'll definitely be interested to see the chiefs um uh, without tyree kill i think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adapt yeah after all the trash i just talked the ravens play miami uh at some point this season so i'm <laughs> sure tyree yeah, kill will have two touchdowns and 150 oh their schedule is just getting harder and harder and harder as the offseason goes which is yeah incredible. It's, it's still an afc and i will give the, the dolphins credit this they, they made an uh, attempts to get better they signed teron armstead uh the former saints left tackle and free agency so yeah, it's just another AFC team that did improve on paper this offseason. So that's that's frustrating. Uh, one bit of uh, NFC news that I want to talk about, and this is it's you know it's about a week late, but I was curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this, if if even just briefly. Uh, Bruce Arians, former uh, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, had had made no announcement about leaving the organization or retiring. Tom Brady retires. 
10 minutes later, Tom Brady unretires. 20 minutes later, Bruce Arians retires, uh, citing the desire to give defensive coordinator Todd Bowles an opportunity to become head coach pretty openly while still with a good team, as opposed to taking over a season later with an inevitably bad team and then having to have that unfair challenge. I mean, I think they're very nice words, but there's obvious relations here to Bruce Arians leaving after Tom Brady came back. Um, it just proves how much of a bad guy Tom Brady really is. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Arians, a loved coach by many, uh, and is trying to give a minority assistant coach an opportunity to be a, become a head coach in better circumstances. Good guy all around, and Tom Brady just doing all this backstabbing, uh, you know, behind the behind the curtain. So I turn to my two co-hosts now to agree with me that this is all Tom Brady's fault. Uh, I can't say it's unrelated. It has to be related, right? You don't just decide in mid-March, late March to... He, I mean, Bruce Arians attended the combine. By all accounts, he was going to be the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, did Tom Brady force him out? I don't know. Could it have been Bruce Arians being like, I'm not dealing with Tom Brady this season? I could buy that. Because um, Arians... I will say, though, the only thing that gives me slight pause is... Uh, Arians is like, I think the only coach who would be like, screw Tom Brady, I'm going to do what I want kind of thing. So like, he can't force me out sort of deal. Uh, if that was, you know, talked about, uh, or whatever, but you know, I'm not, I, it, they can say what they want. There's no way that's completely unrelated. And it, you know, Arians, he, he, it was kind of funny. He even said in his, uh, return, he was like, he like on the record, he was like, yeah, Tom Brady's return, like made me realize now's a perfect time to leave <laughs> like he's like we're gonna be and he, he claimed it was because as you said the team's gonna be good now because tom brady's back but I, I think you can read between those lines a little bit to be like tom's back and i'm out so have a good one i want a super bowl with them it was like i don't think they hate each other i think tom brady's just a lot probably <laughs> well i think some of it too i don't know if they hate each other but i guarantee you there was some brady of hey i'll come back if because I don't know if I necessarily want to deal with Arians. Because Arians, yeah, seems like a good guy, but also can be a bit combative. And he might, he just maybe didn't want to deal with that. So, yeah. Brady has his power. And look, if the best quarterback of all time, and I hate saying it, um, I got to insult Coach K on this show. So that's, that's enough for me today. Um, if he wants to come back, th they're going to do this. Last uh, bit of news in the NFL to discuss. I'm going to... I'm going to bring this up, but a quick segue for the two of you. I don't really want to talk about the commies thing and the Dan Snyder thing, so at the end of this piece, if you guys want to bring it up, just go ahead. But I feel like we'll have more to talk about with them in the next two weeks because they quite literally cannot do anything right, and I know we have a nice listener base of Commander Commander fans. So almost for them, I'm not going to bring it up, but if you guys want to talk about yet another opportunity to mock how bad they are at things go ahead but what i wanted to talk about uh is this a late breaking um news bit of news that has come up as we're recording and it is a trade of draft picks and boy are there a lot of trades moving left and right but really it ends up being a pretty decisive move and it's between the eagles and the saints trading picks the eagles have given up the 16th and the 19th picks in the first round to get the 18th pick from the Saints, and then there's a whole lot of other picks that move back and forth. 
um, in order for the Saints to get those two first-round picks and to move up two spots, more importantly, they also had to give up a first-round pick in 2023 and a second-round pick in 2024. Uh, and then there's some late-round picks this year that are moving back and forth. But it's a lot of movement. It's a lot of stuff. But basically, it's the Saints being able to move up two spots, which usually screams one thing, guys. Uh, but I want to get your uh, your thoughts on this mega odd trade to move up two spots in the first round. Couple things here. Uh, yeah, it's the Saints. The early reaction is that this just happened as we are recording here. Um, the Saints are going to use those picks to maybe package them to move up to get one of these quarterbacks, leapfrog uh, the the their division rival Carolina Panthers at six maybe get to five and grab a quarterback right ahead of them if they like, uh, you know, a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis more. Um, and then for the Eagles, good on the Eagles. They wanted two more draft picks in a 2023 class that might have some good quarterbacks. They get two first-round picks in that class. They see what they have with Jalen Hurts this year. They still have two first-rounders here. Very Sam Hinkie of Howie Roseman just stockpiling these first-round picks. Um, they – have their two here they build around Jalen Hurts they see what they have and if they don't like what they have they have two first round picks one with the Saints team that they're banking on sucking which they they might who knows I mean the NFC South is is pretty horrible as it is anyway and then that might be a very very high pick for them to go grab one of these really really good quarterbacks in the 23 class yeah, I think it's a smart move for the Eagles because, um, as you said, they, they had uh, was it was fifteen, they had fifteen, sixteen, and eighteen before or nineteen before this trade, and now they are, are at uh, yeah fifteen and eighteen. I agree with you. I think the Saints are using their now two first round picks, uh, which are now yeah nineteen and sixteen to try to get in the top 10 for a quarterback. That seems to be the only thing. And that's what's kind of a little confusing to me is like, we don't usually see trades of draft picks like before draft night. <laughs> so it's a little interesting to me to see this big exchange. Cause yeah, like Tim, you nailed it. Like if they can't, if the saints can't package these picks to move up on draft night or sooner, then like, yeah, they don't – and don't get Malik Willis, who kind of seems to be the consensus – is rounding into the consensus top quarterback off the board. I mean, there'll be other guys like Kenny Pickett and stuff. But um, but if they don't get the quarterback they want, and then that plagues them all season again, and then, yeah, you're giving up maybe a top 15 pick in a, in a way better QB uh, draft next year. So, I don't know. It's risky, I think, if you can't – pull what seems to be the clear swing for a quarterback uh in this draft if that falls through for the saints i, I think it's a disaster um but who knows it's weird as i said we don't usually i feel like see draft pick swaps to this degree with this many picks going back and forth either like prior to draft night so it's really interesting and you have to imagine the saints have a plan uh, otherwise they wouldn't have pulled the trigger on this already um so who knows? It'll be interesting to see. But that's what well, makes the draft so fun. Well, I suppose they, you know, they had they were two moves away, 
so they needed to do this one earlier so that they have time to set up the yeah. next move, I guess, which is going to be a big move to move into that top 10 yeah. spot. To, to basically prove that, and we do, in fact, have the two first-round picks we're promised. <laughs> uh, and from a Raven perspective, fantastic. Grab a quarterback before 14. Um, it happens every year. These quarterbacks all year in the during the football season are, like, maybe fringe first-round draft picks, and then... They're eight late first-round draft picks, and then you get a few weeks of the draft, and all of a sudden, they magically become top-ten picks. And now it's looking like two quarterbacks, who at no point during the season were top-ten picks, will go in the top ten. And those are two spots that the Ravens can essentially move up with in terms of personnel, because they will not be taking a quarterback, and it's just going to push all that talent to 18 when the Ravens move back four spots from 14 and get an extra third-round pick to do it. All right, uh... That was the last bit of NFL news. I'm going to give you guys three seconds. Anybody on the commies, uh, you want to give me any uh, hard political news on the DC commies, or, or shall we move? No, I, I want to do one uh, Ravens thing that maybe a Ravens fan who lives on Twitter like I do is like, why didn't you guys talk about this? And that's DK Metcalf and Lamar Jackson talking on Twitter. We didn't talk about it because it's not going to happen, okay? It's not going to happen. All right, that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> Gosh, was that even supposed to mean... Who was going to be moving in that, in that scenario? One of them or both no, of DK them? DK Metcalf to Baltimore. And they were talking uh, about how much they good. were chilling. And then Lamar was like, hey, come here. And DK liked the tweet. And, you know, people lost their mind. Okay. Well. That was, that was a good PSA, Tim. I yeah. forgot about that happened. But, yeah, we needed to address that. Uh, that it won't happen on the show. <laughs> yeah. The Ravens, that's not the we – don't, we don't do those kind of things ever. We move back in first rounds. Uh, all right. Well, in that case, I'm going to read over the random Raven clues one more time uh, and then have you guys guess just a quick thing. We've been talking draft here for a bit with the Ravens and the rest of the NFL. Oh, we will be doing a mock of the first round as we do every year. We are still a few weeks away from that, so that will not be coming out likely uh, until just a few days before the draft, which is April 28th. So maybe look for that around the 26th of April is what we're thinking. So there's time for things to happen, for the Ravens to say that they're not moving up or down. And But we will bring you uh, that full mock draft in a few weeks. But for now, still, uh, still some time yet to go. And for the random Raven, this player was in Baltimore for four seasons from 2002 to 2005. He was a sixth-round pick by the Ravens out of southern Mississippi. He played in every single game for the team in those four seasons but he only started five games and he totaled 177 tackles eight interceptions three of which were returned for touchdowns and four and a half sacks he wore the number 49 and he played one season uh, with san francisco and i've just realized i wrote down in 2007 which would mean he skipped a season maybe due to injury so i'll have to check that that may be wrong by that but he played one season after the Ravens uh, where he played in 15 games and then never played in the NFL again. So I turn to my co-hosts now for their guesses. Tim felt pretty good about it. If I, I suppose we'll have Tim go and then see if Jay, where Jace is at after that. Yeah, I still got nothing. So. This, and again, this is because I have circled this guy multiple times and never pulled the trigger on one Chad Williams. Chad Williams. <laughs> that is correct. 
That is correct. Chad Williams, and I was right, it's 2006. He played in 2006 with San Francisco and then never played again. Yeah, a guy who played for the Ravens many seasons and was active every single week with a little bit of productivity, including some big big plays with a 98-yard touchdown interception, a 94-yard interception for touchdown in 2004, uh, and then never, never seen or heard from again. So well done uh, by Tim. I think what with happened that, there with that get. I think what happened there was in one of the many Madden franchise seasons, Chad Williams ended up like blossoming for me as a safety for the Ravens, and so I just and I love guys with visors, uh, and the three running back thing is a safety. So yeah, I think that's just what happened. I mean, there. Eight interceptions in four years. I'll, I'll be honest, Antonio. This is the first one I have truly no recollection of this player. Uh, that wasn't guys like Ernest Biner, I think, has been a random raver before. But uh, I have nothing on this guy. And it astounds me. I watched all these games. I watched probably every, pretty much every game between 2002 and 2005. I just have nothing. And uh, I guess you could say we've, we've talked about the dark era of Ravens football, uh, 20, 2015 to to 2017. Uh, uh, um, but this was kind of the first dark era of Ravens football, post-Super Bowl, uh, pre the 13-3 team. Uh, a lot of Kyle Bowler in there. A lot of uh, a lot of, a lot of really great defenses and games that ended like with a 13-7 loss. Um, but yeah, wow. I don't know. This, this one's thrown me for a loop. This is like the first, the first time I feel like Disappointed in myself that a guy who played this much. I just have no I, oddly, I take that as a small compliment because uh, it <laughs> no, takes a lot to, I mean, to like stump perfect, Jay Evans. Perfect red Raven. It's, I watched all these games. <laughs> he was doing <laughs> stuff. No idea who he was. But yeah, Jace, that, that dark age, that 02 to 05 dark age is when the Ravens, they were building something. You know, sometimes you have to have those dark ages to get Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs, and Haloti Nada, and then build your defense for the next ten years off of that. So, you know, would have been would have been nice to have done that in the other dark age from fifteen to seventeen. Some some more misses in those drafts, but yeah. uh, back on the right track now. Yeah, and, and when you're uh, when you're in the dark ages, guys like Chad Williams have interceptions that you don't remember. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, that is going to do it for us uh, for Tim Horsey and Jay Evans. I am Antonio Barbera. This was fun. It was fun to do. Again, every two weeks, it feels like every two months. So we're going to make it just a few more episodes here before we transition back to weekly to bring you all the latest Ravens and NFL news. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you, for now, in two weeks. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.